1: The truth that all life is interdependent and nothing is truly separate is a truth that once realized can never be undone. Those of us who practice meditation and loving kindness are opening ourselves up to the hidden patterns of connectedness and opportunities to develop our intuitive abilities. However, human actions obscure the fact that in this world, All life is in kinship. This fog in our perception is caused by the way we eat. Gandhi once said, the most violent weapon on earth is the table fork. Our guests today ask us to consider that the primary driving forces behind this whole network of problems we face as human beings is the mentality of violence, exploitation and exclusion and privilege that is required for us to eat the way we're eating animal foods. Our disconnectedness from the suffering of animals is at the very core of the loss of intelligence, freedom, and true happiness. And that is what we'll be exploring today with our guest, Dr. Will Tuttle. Dr. Will Tuttle is a professional pianist, composer, and teacher who holds a PhD from the University of California, Berkeley. For more than two decades, he has presented at progressive churches, vegetarian and human potential conferences, and intentional communities throughout the United States. He trained in Korea as a Zen Buddhist monk and has worked extensively in Tai Chi, yoga, and meditation and is a catalyst for the vegan movement. Tuttle is the author of many books, including the seminal book, The World Peace Diet, Eating for Spiritual Health and Social Harmony, as well as Your Inner Islands, The Keys to Intuitive Living. He also has many original piano albums, including Ascension, A Journey Beyond, and Islands of Light. He also works with his artist wife, Madeline, who contributes to his presentations, books, and albums. Join us for the next hour as we explore how we, as a species, can become more free, more intelligent, more loving, and happier by the choices we make with our guest, Dr. Will Tuttle. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Will, welcome. Welcome.
2: Thank you, Justine. I'm delighted to be with you.
1: I'm so delighted to have you, to be sitting down with you right now. Uh, we're in early 2020, and I was able to watch the Golden Globes uh, that happened earlier this year, and they were uh, serving a whole vegan menu at the Golden Globes. I, I thought, well, wow, things are really changing, maybe for the better. Mm. I would love to go back because I just a little bit into your past and go back to some of the travels that you did with your brother the pilgrimage that you took mm. in your early 20s that really kind of set the stage for where you are now I believe. Can you tell us a little bit yeah. about that?
2: Yes, thank you. Yes, um you're right. I'm so glad to see uh, the positive changes that are happening in, in the Golden Globes. I heard that the the Critics Circle is also going to be serving only vegan food, so we're we're hoping the Oscars will go the same way.
1: May be so.
2: But uh, yeah, going back to 1975, actually, that was uh, I had just graduated from from Colby College in Maine, and you know it was an interesting situation. I was raised in a typical family, eating the usual meals that everybody eats. Uh, but it was in Concord, Massachusetts, which maybe made a difference, I'm not sure, but I, I fell in love with the writings of Thoreau and Emerson, and also of Walt Whitman, and I started also to get interested in Eastern religions, it was just starting, and yoga was coming in, meditation was starting to happen back in the 70s, the Vietnam War uh, was a big catalyst for me to question a lot of the values uh, of uh, domination and exploitation of, of others but I never questioned eating animal foods at all. Uh, But I really felt that a life of meditation was very interesting. It seemed to be kind of drawing me. So instead of following in my father's footsteps, which was to take over his newspaper, uh, he had a whole chain of newspapers in uh, the Boston area, I decided with my brother to leave home and we thought we would walk all the way to California as a pilgrimage uh, in meditation. And we got about as far as Buffalo after a few, about a month. And we headed south at that point because it was October. And uh, we walked actually all the way to Alabama. And on the way, we were meditating. We were working with Ramana Maharshi's uh, ancient question, which is, who am I? To just go deeper with this question of trying to understand who we are as, as expressions of life on this planet. And at one point, we stopped in Tennessee at a community called The Farm, and The Farm in 1975 was the largest hippie commune in the world, started by people in San Francisco, mainly Stephen Gaskin and Ida May, and uh, there was about 900 people there, and they were all vegetarians. So this was my first real experience in a community uh, that was vegetarian, and it actually, if we could use the proper word, they were vegan, because back then, No one heard of that word, but they didn't eat any meat or dairy products or eggs. A lot of them wouldn't wear leather, and it was really for ethical reasons. So they were vegans, and they said that they were vegetarians because they wanted to eat lower on the food chain so there would be enough food for everyone to eat. And they talked about that, how uh, the fact is that most of the food we're growing, we're feeding to animals, and it's very wasteful of resources, so... Uh, in order to create more peace in the world, we need to have more justice. In order to have more justice, we have to have more caring, not only for animals, but for other starving people. So they were eating lower on the food chain so there would be enough for everyone to eat. And that was fascinating to me because I wasn't really aware of that. And uh, the main thing, though, was just to be sitting together with large groups of of young people, uh, about our age or a little older, who are only eating grains and beans and vegetables for breakfast lunch and dinner and I learned that you don't need to eat animal foods to be healthy I I could see it all around me there was about two hundred children that were there and they were mostly born on the farm they were all vegan basically from birth and they were thriving everybody was thriving and so that was it from that day in 1975 when I was talking to these folks about the situation and they explained to me the suffering of hungry people and also the suffering of animals. And, and then I was seeing around me every day that you don't need to eat these foods. I've never eaten meat in my life, actually, since that day. And it was so neat because I found out many years later when I met Madeline that at the same month and year, this young Swiss artist in Switzerland also decided to never eat meat again in her life, <laughs> too, in Switzerland. And so we, we got together many years later, but I, I really feel so uh, fortunate that I got the example of this community because one of the main ideas in the World Peace Diet, really a, a crucial idea, I think, is that the only reason any of us eat animal foods is because of the communities we're raised in. We're we're essentially born into this practice, and it's demonstrated and modeled for us by the people that we trust completely, our parents and teachers, the minister in my church, I remember, you know, the media, the doctors, they're all telling us we need to eat meat and dairy products and eggs to be healthy.
1: Well, even the government
2: puts out the whole f- food right. uh, pyramid, and it's right there. You're right, so we're getting it from the, all the authorities and and uh, one of the things I understand is that we're essentially as human beings we're pretty tribal. We we really want to be fit in to the people in our social networks and so forth. We have to, and food is the primary way that any culture transmits its values from generation to generation. The primary way that people bond is over food. So that was the th- the big point I think for me was realizing, in at the farm this this example of an alternative way of eating. And it was much more sustainable and actually more healthy and less uh, violent. So so the question is, well, why don't we all just change? And so that was one of the reasons I wrote the World Peace Diet was to see if I could get to the core of what's driving us uh, in the directions that we're going. And the power of community, I think, is really the key thing is that we become as little children, we're sponges. So we become like our community. And Uh, When we have an example of alternative communities, uh, whatever they are, maybe vegan restaurants or sanctuaries or uh, online groups, then people can see that there's another way of living that's based, perhaps more in alignment with their values of respect and kindness for all life.
1: I remember years ago, we used to, in the New Dimensions team, there was like maybe 12 of us. And we'd meet all day long on a Saturday, and then we'd go to KQED and do a live four-hour program. And one time, Stephen Gaskin and Ina May came, and they uh, did a whole... Uh meal for us, a vegan meal. They cooked a whole vegan meal for the wow. whole New Dimensions thing. <laughs> and it was amazing. It was like a gourmet meal. We were just shocked. We had no idea. That might have been in around that same time, 1974, mm-hmm. 75. Wow. Yeah, it was just fantastic. Yeah. So here you are. You ended up at the farm, but you didn't stay there. You You moved on at some point, and it ended up in Huntsville, Alabama.
2: <laughs> right, yeah we, yeah, we were only a few weeks in, in the farm and we, we were really looking to live in a meditation center and so we found it in Huntsville, Alabama. There was a, actually, believe it or not, there was a, a Korean Zen Buddhist center that had been started by people in the un, local Unitarian church. And so then I could really do what I wanted to do which was to dive into hours and hours every day, probably eight to 10 hours a day of just sitting in meditation. And um, ended up eventually coming to San Francisco and living in a Tibetan Buddhist center here and then studying again in the Zen tradition and becoming a Zen Buddhist monk in the early 1980s in Korea. And all of that actually helped me to, I think, understand at a deeper level the importance of compassion uh, for all beings and to develop an appreciation, I think, for the ancient wisdom teachings that, really, especially from the East, are explicitly inclusive of all beings. They don't just say compassion for humans. They say, you know always say compassion for all living beings, anyone who is capable of suffering. And so, as the years have gone by, I've felt drawn to look more and more deeply into what is actually something that doesn't really uh, draw a lot of thought for most people is the the impact of their food choices. But I've discovered that our food choices have huge impacts and that they can be much better than what they are now.
1: I want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Dr. Will Tuttle, and he's the author of The World Peace Diet, Eating for Spiritual Health and Social Harmony, and also Your Inner Islands, The Key to Intuitive Living. If you want to know more about his work, you can go to his website, willtuttle.com. Dot com. His spells his last name T U T T L E, willtuttle.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Dr. Will Tuttle, and he is the author of the seminal book, The World Peace Diet, Eating for Spiritual Health and Social Harmony. Will, we're talking about these choices, and I'm reminded of one of the precepts that goes through all the traditions. Every tradition, every religious or spiritual tradition has some... um, form of this precept, and that's, we call it the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And, and this is something that I think that you, you really can talk about in, in the way that we are treating animals.
2: Right. Well, you know, the thing we have to understand, I guess, is that, as you say, this is a universal spiritual wisdom teaching. Not to harm others or do to them what we wouldn't want to have done to ourselves. When we've traveled all over the world, it's been wonderful to see how this teaching is so universal. We were in Chufu, China, a few years ago, where Confucius apparently first said this, and um, it, I think it it just resonates at a deep level uh, in our in our bones when we hear the, the, this ancient teaching: "Don't do to others what we wouldn't want to have done to ourselves." and also, whatever we sow, so shall we reap. It's very closely connected, these ideas that uh, whatever we most want for ourselves, to give that to others. And the animals of this earth are very often, especially in Western cultures, put into parentheses. You know, except, for, except for chickens, cows, and pigs, which we have to eat. You know, we, we kind of uh, say that those an- animals don't matter, that there's really no ethical obligation toward them. We are learning, I think, more and more um, to have more respect and kindness for our companion animals and hopefully more for wildlife and hopefully more for these so-called food animals. Research now is unequivocal that all these animals, all mammals and birds, reptiles, amphibians, uh, fishes, and so forth, have nervous systems that are comparable to ours, that they feel pain basically the same way we do, perhaps even more intensely because they don't have cognitive processes to sort of figure things out. So the idea is that they absolutely do suffer at our hands physically and also emotionally, psychologically. Anyone who has a companion animal like a dog or a cat is very aware that there's someone in there behind those eyes who has interests that are as important to them and really as my interests are to me. And so we would be very quick to defend our pet dog or cat from anyone who would want to harm her. But what we do to cows and pigs and chickens and other animals for food uh, is, uh, causes enormous suffering to these animals. And we not only cause that suffering when we take out our wallets and pay for it, uh, we also then turn around and we actually eat that suffering and feed it to our children. So this is what continues the pattern of disconnectedness in our society at a very deep level. And I think that's really one of, the, one of the main messages I'm so excited to be able to share with the world is that uh, we do not need to eat any animal foods to be healthy. Now, that's, that's such a great good news. It's wonderful good news that there are no nutrients that we need to harm animals in order to get. I've been a vegan now for 40 years, actually, and it started in 1980. And, uh, and it's not just me, there's, there's countless people, you know, millions of people that are vegans who are as healthy and typically much healthier than the general population. And the fact that we can feed everyone on a fraction of the land. This is also uh, now being understood. Joaquin Phoenix, said, you know, recently talked about that at the uh, Golden Globes, how uh, animal agriculture is well understood to be the driving force behind the destruction of rainforests and Amazon. Uh, And the loss of habitat in the oceans, the the devastation of soil and aquifers and climate instability that's caused by so much methane and nitrous oxide and cutting down of oceans. So uh, there's nothing more devastating environmentally than animal agriculture. But I understand very well, because my father owned a whole chain of newspapers, that in the media... You do not run any stories or give any news that will upset the advertisers. So, that's why we don't hear much about this because the biggest advertisers are the fast food companies, the big chemical companies, the big pharmaceutical industries, uh, the big bankers in the background that have made all the loans that need really require in many ways a, a reliable flood of sick people to keep everything running. So uh, I'm so grateful that there are alternative media outlets like New Dimensions where we can actually talk about the effects of animal agriculture to the environment, Uh, not just the outer environment, but also to the inner environment of our own consciousness. Because I think that's also where it gets very interesting. Well, I think that's
1: where you are very convincing in the way you present it it's not only you you just said a lot of things about climate about the soil about uh health and in the benefits of health but more than all of that it's how we are i believe if i interpret you correctly it's it's about the violence that we're participating in and that that in mm-hmm. itself is something much larger than anything else.
2: Right. Yeah, that's the, the violence that's been invisibilized, uh, is the word I use. It's just our culture renders it invisible because we'd rather not see. So the thing to understand, I think, really, is that when we're eating food, we're not just eating food at the table, we're also eating attitudes. There's a whole constellation of attitudes that we're eating when we're eating f- food. And so if the food is animal-based foods, some of the attitudes we're eating are very destructive, actually, to our own intelligence and h- harmony and to uh, inner peace. Uh, one of them, for example, is the attitude of disconnectedness. I think it's pretty unavoidable for the most part. Um, we don't want to deeply make a connection between what's on our plate and what it actually took to get it onto our plate. We don't want to look into the suffering of the animals. Dairy products and eggs, I've discovered, have enormous amounts of suffering. Not, it's not just the flesh of animals. Uh, but also, the, there's a lot of slavery and sexual abuse of animals that go on. So we would rather not think about it. So uh, I have, my, my PhD is in education from UC Berkeley. And one of the things that we understand is that intelligence, essentially the capacity uh, of intelligence is the capacity to make connections. That's the underlying definition of intelligence. So if we have a, a routine ritual in, in our society three times a day we're eating animal foods and learning with every ritual to not make connections, it's eroding our basic intelligence at a cultural level. And I think it really explains in many ways why we have so much potential and so much capacity for intelligence, but we're using that intelligence in so many destructive ways because I think of animal agriculture, it submerges our intelligence underneath a deep sense of shame and guilt that we don't ever really feel. And it's not just our cognitive intelligence, I think it's also our emotional intelligence as well is reduced when we're eating animal foods because we don't want to really care deeply or feel deeply into um, the suffering of of the animals uh, the interconnected suffering of other people uh, who are are, go- are hungry because we're taking most of the grain and petroleum to feed our animals, and the interconnected suffering of future generations. All of these are interconnected.
1: Now, Will, what about those of us who, who make the decision saying, okay, I'm going to eat meat, uh, I'm going to only do like grass-fed, and, and we look for these... Sustainable meat products, and or 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 free-range chickens and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and so uh, we think that we're actually doing a little bit better to do that than mm-hmm. and still eat meat. What what do you have to say about that?
2: Well, you know, I think there's uh, something to be said for the um, underlying dynamic of questioning where f- foods are coming from and trying to avoid paying for. F- foods that come from what are called factory farms, CAFOs, confined animal feeding operations, which are hideous, where these poor cows and uh, pigs and chickens are hyper-confined. Very often they're banging their heads against the bars of the cages, just really driven into insanity by the the hyper-confinement. So when we see free-range, grass-fed, and so forth, we think, well, that that must be much better. Um, I've done quite a bit of research, though, and the problem is that in any event, of course, you have to kill the animals, you have to impregnate them against their will. Whenever, whenever a mother gives birth to a baby, like a mother cow gives birth to a baby, she feels that that's my baby, I wanna nurse that baby, but on any dairy, organic or not, it never happens. The baby is always stolen and killed and then she's impregnated again against her will and pregnant and lactating while simultaneously. So there's this tremendous suffering that these animals go through, whether it's free range or, or organic or grass fed, And they're all killed, uh, which is uh, something that we all know is um, against the natural yearning that every animal has to live.
1: You know, I am reminded of uh, an event that a very dear friend told me about a cow. She happened to drive past when a calf was being born. And it was down in a little valley. And all the rest of the herd, the other cows, were up on the ridge. And the calf was born. And then she stopped the car and she just watched. And she watched all the other cows, these were all female cows, they came down in a line one by one down to this mother cow who had just birthed. And each one licked the calf and then they stood in a circle around this mother who had just birthed this calf. Now, for me, that just says, there's a natural order to things, Mm -hmm, and the cows knew something about birthing. I think Ina May Gaskin would have approved. Isn't that, yeah,
2: exactly. That's the thing, and and these animals, uh, they're very uh, connected to each other, and they have communities, but again... Uh, with animal agriculture, we break the bonds of, of the family life. The, the, mo- the baby's always stolen from the mother. It's, this is the probably the biggest wound, I think, that we endure, is what we inflict on others. Uh, I call it the domination of the sacred feminine. You know, Animal agriculture is really founded at its core on breaking the bond between the mother and her offspring and stealing the baby from the mother. And that kind of violence causes enormous suffering for the babies. Madeline and I living in an r v quite often we would park somewhere within earshot of a dairy operation, and I could hear at two or three, four o'clock in the morning the bellowing of the cows because their babies had been taken from them. So it's just like you said the 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 cow is like the ultimate mother <laughs> and 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 it's a communal mothering, and yet. As humans, we're, um, we're destroying that. And I think we have to understand, if we're gonna have harmonious relations with each other, uh, we can't have this whole ocean of, of sexual violence towards other beings in the background that we're causing and then that we're eating and feeding to our children and then pretending that it doesn't matter. It's easy to pretend that something doesn't matter, but we know from history, whenever we do that, it comes back to us as war and conflict and disease. And the beautiful thing, I think, is that people are now beginning to realize that uh, there's no reason to cause the suffering to animals. We're actually much healthier uh, without doing so, and we can begin to transition uh, more and more toward a more uh, compassionate and healthy way of living. And And that's what we see happening.
1: I want to remind our listeners I'm here with Will Tuttle, and he is the author of The World Peace Diet, Eating for Spiritual Health and Social Harmony, and also Your Inner Islands, The Keys to Intuitive Living. And if you want to know more about his work and and also his albums and also the artwork of Madeline Tuttle, his his dear wife and artist, You can go to his website, willtuttle.com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Dr. Will Tuttle, and he's the author of The World Peace Diet, Eating for Spiritual Health and Social Harmony, and also many other books, including Your Inner Islands, The Keys to Intuitive Living. And uh, Will, I I wanted to ask you, those seem like two very different things, but what does developing our intuition have to do with world
2: peace? It's the key, I think, in many ways to world peace because intuition is the inner knowing that we all have that's not a product merely of conditioning and rationality. These are great things. I mean, conditioning can be very helpful. Uh, Rationality and logic and analysis are very helpful. But I think we all know that if we study any kind of wisdom teachings or spiritual teachings, that there's always an emphasis on quieting the mind and connecting with a deeper level of knowing or a capacity for direct knowing, non-dualistic knowing, where the wall between the subject and the object begins to dissolve. So as long as there's this basic idea that what I am is a fundamentally separate self that's disconnected from what I see around me. Then there'll be a craving to try to get what I want, keep away what I don't want. In the Buddhist tradition that's called samsara, which means suffering that never ends. It's based on the false understanding. And intuition is an arising of an inner knowing that happens when our mind becomes quiet and it can help guide us in our lives. I think one of the greatest gifts intuition gives us is just to live our unique life, to to find how we are to be expressing and living in this world authentically. And it's connected to inner peace and to world peace because if we're not connected with that, then we're being propelled merely by our conditioning. And the conditioning in our society is really pretty toxic. There's a, a wonderful saying by Krishnamurti, something like this. He, he said, "It's not a good idea to be well adjusted to a profoundly sick society."
1: You know, and I think
2: you know that says so much. You know, we we want to be well adjusted to whatever society we're raised in. We want to be well liked and so forth. But at a certain point in our uh, awakening, I think we begin to realize that we have to question the underlying narrative in our society, and it's. The intuition that helps us to do that, I think, more than anything, when we quiet our mind and connect with the light that is shining always and realizing that what we are is an expression of life that is eternal, that what we are was never born and will never die. We have a physical body that is an expression, a way of uh, of uh, dealing with what we see around us, a vehicle of consciousness, but what we are is the consciousness itself. And this is something that I think is a foundation for peace as individuals, because then we realize that our happiness is not dependent on what we get in the outer world. Uh, Our happiness is existential, It's, it's just our true nature. And this gives rise also to kindness and compassion because we see that others are also expressions of infinite and eternal consciousness and not just humans, but all beings. And I think that awakens in us a yearning to bless others or to try to uh, at least not harm them (laughs) and and to respect them. And so this is what connects, I think, to what we call veganism, which is really just an expression of ahimsa, is really the ancient teaching. Ahimsa means non-harmfulness. And when I've studied, I used to teach college courses in comparative religion. And every world religion essentially has that as a core teaching, not to harm others unnecessarily because that blocks intuition. As soon as I start harming others on, you know, for my own benefit, then the mind begins to create a concrete case around itself in a, in a way. We, just, we begin to contract and we just see the world in terms of how I can manipulate and use others to get what I want, which creates suffering for them, but also it always boomerangs back to me. So that's why I think all these things are connected. Intuition helps us to quiet our mind and connect with our inner wisdom. It gives rise in many ways to compassion and understanding because we see that we're not a fundamentally separate self. And then ahimsa, or nonviolence, which is vegan living, to just do the best we can not to harm ecosystems, animals, future generations, hungry people, the whole web of life that we're involved with.
1: You know, uh, Will, I can remember a story that you tell that where you are direct recipient of someone following their own intuition that they had developed in a deep way, and they were very connected to it. And this goes back to your story of going to the farm, and you're at the farm with your brother Ed, and you have a kind of vision of something, uh, of a monk with a staff. And at that moment, a man walks in.
2: Oh, that's an interesting story. I I, I mean, hardly it, ever tell that, but I can I can tell you what uh, happened. Please. Actually, it was very interesting. Yeah, we were at the farm, and it was a Sunday afternoon. We were in the in this big one big room they have where they would hold the the big meditation room. We were all alone there, and I was just sitting in this chair, looking out into the room, and it was like the whole room came alive with a shimmering presence. It was very interesting. This kind of thing doesn't usually ever happen to me, but I could really feel the presence of beings in the room that you couldn't quite see. And I said to my brother, Ed, you know, there's beings in here. And he said, yeah, I know, I can see it too. (laughs) And we were really um, quite amazed at how very real it seemed that we were there was something in that room with us but we couldn't quite see and then i felt this something come close to me and touch me right um, like between my eyes and the forehead and then leave and then the whole room went back to normal and it was like normal room again and then about two minutes later the door opened and this guy walked in he uh, said his name was Big John. He said his name John, I guess, but he was a huge guy. And he said, uh, I mean, he was with a woman. He said, my wife and I, we just got married. And they were from Huntsville, Alabama. He said, um, we, we just got married. We were driving uh, to Florida for our honeymoon. He said, I got a message that I got to go to the farm. I have, a, I have to deliver a message to someone at the farm. He said, so I, tr- I said, sorry, honey, this happens every once in a while. Is it okay? And she said, all right. And So we turned around. We drove back <laughs> the opposite direction, came up here. And he said, I, You're the because one. Because the
1: farm was in Tennessee. In Tennessee, in the opposite direction. The opposite
2: of Florida. Right. So he turned around, headed back north. They came, and he said, And he walked into the room, and he said, You're the one I'm supposed to see. And he, um, he just went over and he put his hands on my head. And uh, I f- when he did that, it was very uh, powerful. I felt a h- huge rush of energy. And, and then he just said, I got a vision of a man with a staff and he will be sustenance for you. And I also see a deep love for someone. And um, at that point, I, I was just by myself with my brother doing this walk, but it was so interesting because a few uh, weeks later, we were decided we, we should leave the farm and we thought we would go to Huntsville because he had also mentioned that there was a Zen center in Huntsville. So we thought, well, we'll just keep walking south. We'll go to the Zen center. And so we got to the Zen center in Huntsville We had his phone number, and I remember we called him, and he took us to the Zen Center and dropped us off, and we never saw him again. But that kind of started us on the way, and about three or four weeks later, the people at the Zen Center said, we're going to have a special visit by a Zen master from California, and they showed us a picture, and it was this man with a staff. (laughs) He was standing there, and he was holding a staff, the Zen master. His name was Donald Gilbert. And sure enough, I mean, the, the way it worked out, I, I ended up eventually moving to San Francisco, uh, lived in the, in the Tibetan Buddhist Center for uh, about three years, and then uh, moved over to Oakland, and a house just opened up right across the street from Master Gilbert, and I lived there and studied with him for the next 20 years. Wow. <laughs> so uh, it was really uh, a fulfillment. In well, a way, I, yeah. I kind
1: of think of this man, Big John, as someone who really developed his mm. intuition, right, and he, he followed it. He, he, well, it didn't make any sense to him. It wasn't rational, but he acted on it. And so going back to the need for developing our intuition, and it has to do with non-harming, and, and it just reminds me of the four precepts, uh, what the Buddhists would call the five immeasurable. No, is it the, yeah the five immeasurables? Oh, the four immeasurables. The four immeasurables, right. The, yeah, mm-hmm.
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it does connect actually, I think, with both the five precepts and the four immeasurables. And uh, what those are, I think, you know, intuition is, um, like you say, it's an inner knowing that we just follow. Even when, the, even when our rational mind or the world says it's ridiculous, we somehow we know that this is the right thing for us. And uh, the four immeasurables are love, compassion, joy, and peace, essentially, you know, love, Um, Maitri is is this basic kindness for other beings. Karuna uh, is not only compassion, not only yearning that others be free from suffering, but also the yearning to act, to help relieve uh, uh, the suffering of others. So that's a very profound and powerful form of love, I think. And mudita is joy, which is the the joy, not just that I got what I want, but joy in the joy of others. So it also connects them with compassion. And then upeka, or peace, or har- is also translated as harmony. And it's also the kind of love that's not specific. It's love for everyone equally. It has that sense of e- equality, to love all beings equally, even friends or even those who maybe are a problem for us, to try to get over that sense of... Liking some and not caring about others to try to develop that. And there's a
1: wonderful meditation where we we take that those precepts and we just we do mm-hmm. we apply them to ourselves and then our family and then our community and then we go out and then we apply them in this meditation to the whole world.
2: Right. Yeah. yeah that's a wonderful meditation because it's not only bringing us into the moment, but it also helps to purify our consciousness. And I I remember. Uh, doing this practice a lot when I was a, a Zen monk in Korea, and one time it was interesting. One time, they delivered to everybody a piece of cake. There was a I was in this foreign uh, sangha, just uh, like me and somebody from Germany and somebody a couple from England and Denmark, and so we would get every once in a while as a gift, maybe once a month, a, a piece of cake, and I saved it for later. I came back to my little locker and. It was gone. One of, the, one of the other monks had stolen my cake, I remember. <laughs> and it was so neat because you know, the natural tendency would be to be kind of bugged or something. But I was doing this practice of love, compassion, joy, and peace for hours every day. And the natural reaction was, I just thought, wow, somebody had one cake and then he had another one. That must have been so great. You know? and I just had this feeling of like, wow, that must, I just enjoyed it more than if I had eaten it myself. And I think that's the kind of thing. These practices can actually help us transform our consciousness so that instead of getting angry and judgmental, we just naturally send love to other people because we understand that we're ultimately not separate.
1: Exactly, and I want to talk about how we develop that through meditation, Uh, but I also want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Dr. Will Tuttle, and he's the author of The World Peace Diet, Eating for Spiritual Health and Social Harmony, and also one of his books is Your Inner Islands, The Keys to Intuitive Living. And if you want to know more about his work, you can go to his website. By the way, um, Madeline Tuttle does artwork for for that book and for his albums, and she's very much involved in his presentations. His website is willtuttle, T-U-T-T-L-E, willtuttle.com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to new dimensions. I'm here with Dr. Will Tuttle, and he's the author of The World Peace Diet, and also Your Inner Islands, The Keys to Intuitive Living. And, uh, Will, we, we were just talking about ways to enhance our intuition and our connection to harmony and peace and joy, and you teach meditation, and you, you meditate every day. and you, it, So this is a practice that has expanded your awareness of this connection with all life. So talk to us about meditation, and what is its purpose, and how we can participate in it.
2: The basic method, uh, I think, of meditation is pretty universal. It's to bring our mind back to the present moment in a way that's focused and relaxed. And it's really natural I think for us as human beings to have this mentality, but it's discouraged in our society because from the time we're little kids we're taught to have a mind that's the opposite of that, to be in the always distracted or entertained in the past or the future. And so we end up living our lives and never actually being present. It's very easy to do.
1: Or another thing is that we need to be right and not wrong. Mm. That that's another like we're taught in school. There's a right answer, the wrong answer. So we're constantly, you know, it, working with that as if there's just an up and a down and an either and an or, right? Right.
2: That's that's a wound. We we have to understand. I think that being born into a society that's organized at its living core. It's organized around seeing beings as objects to be used and it's just p- matter. I mean, just like cows and pigs or chickens are, are seen as just objects that you buy and sell by the pound. So when we do that for 10,000 years, we've been doing that now for about 10,000 years, we create an entire society now that's probably the most materialistic ever in the history of the world where we even see ourselves as just matter. Just, I'm, you know, my body is all I am. I'm gonna, when I die, that's the end. And we treat ourselves and each other in many ways. And so, for me, it's like the mind gets colonized. You know, we see what happens to a a people that get colonized. And all of their natural wisdom and and powers get taken away in many ways. And and something is superimposed upon them. And I realized at one point, Uh, through my meditation practice that the same thing had happened to me. I think all of us go through this. Our our basic natural wisdom and awareness and compassion and empathy get repressed by being raised in a society that's killing literally billions of animals every day for food and just ignoring the whole thing and having us all eat it and and cause it and participate in that. So we're forced into a very non-meditative state because if we were deeply meditative we would be very sensitive to the energy of what we're doing, what we're eating, how things affect other things. but we put on armor. We're all forced in many ways to put on armor to uh, to protect ourselves in a society that harms us as little kids in many ways. And we're taught to compete. like you say, we have to be right all the time. If we get the wrong answer, we're not going to get to the next grade, we're going to be left behind. we're not going we could fail. And so it, it gets very visceral, uh, this wounding. And then eating uh, terror and fear and pain and despair and anxiety in the form of animal foods also causes a lot of problems. As, well, as we understand now, the, um, the gut uh, micro... This is a very important point, actually. The, it's called the, the microbiome, which is the community of trillions of cells that live inside of us. Um, they are really designed only to eat polypeptides uh, primarily, which come from complex carbohydrates. So for eating mostly animal-based foods... Uh, and not getting really healthy, complex carbohydrates and vegetables, then we have a community inside of us that is not in harmony. And uh, scientists are just understanding this now in the last few years that there's a direct connection call, called the vagus nerve, which goes between uh, the, uh, the microbiome and our brain, which is really responsible for our emotional state and uh, also for releasing the hormones that make us feel happy and feel at peace and feel in harmony. So if we're eating foods that are animal-based foods, we're not only eating on a metaphysical level a lot of violence and and, um, terror and fear, but we're also eating on a physical level foods that cause an upset at a deep level in the community that lives inside of us that we depend on to be healthy. And that's causing uh, a lot of stress and frustration in our emotional states. And so for these reasons and the fact that our whole society is organized really in many ways in a way to keep us busy all the time, to even just make enough money to make ends meet for a lot of people, uh, we tend to live in a profoundly non-meditative state uh, because if we relax and just go deep, we begin to feel uh, all these other uh disharmonies so i think it's very helpful to just be aware of this to realize that we've been wounded it's not our fault uh we just live in a society that has has this way of being and that we can each become part of the solution to the problem we, we carry the oh, problem that's within the good us news. You know, yeah that's the good news we can each be part of the solution and the beautiful thing, I think, is to realize that all of us, when we quiet our mind and we realize that our mind's been colonized, we can we can connect with this idea, which I, I think we can all experience, which is that there's an infinite sky of consciousness. And it's like, for me, it was like being raised in some country where the clouds were so thick and so heavy and gray that I didn't ever realize there was a, actually a blue sky there. And through meditation, uh, and just c- continuing to return the mind to the present moment, come back to right now, come back to the breathing, come back to the sense of kindness and love, that at one point there can be a glimpse of this s- blue sky that's always present, and it's not damageable by the clouds. Clouds don't ever interfere with the sky. They, they come and go, and I think that's the beautiful thing, is to realize that each one of us, our true nature is the sky. It's infinite and eternal. It's self-shining like the infinite firmament of, of heaven within us. And it's, it's our true nature. And whatever wounds we've endured don't damage the sky of our true nature. And when we begin to f- get a, a direct experience of that through meditation and through just taking time to notice the beauty around us in nature and in animals and in each other, then I think we begin to transform our Consciousness and create more space in our life for uh, savoring the beauty that's around us, to really see the beauty of the trees and the birds and this beautiful earth and in other people, and devote our lives for the short time that we're here to unfolding our purpose that we have a purpose, that we're not just a piece of meat that was born to be exploited and used or to exploit others, but we're here to awaken to our true nature and then to heal the wounds that we've endured and to help others to heal those wounds as well. And the more I think that we do this, the more we feel this basic spontaneous sense of joy which comes from living our purpose. And all of this, I think, connects. It's all interconnected at a deep level. Our food is very important because it's our most intimate connection with nature and with our society. So we have to realize that when we eat food, we're not just... Uh, causing something, we're also embodying something. And out of that, we can begin to uh, connect with an inner consciousness that honors the sacred feminine dimension of life, which is the the feminine dimension uh, is what we all depend on at a deep level. If, if our mother... Uh, didn't care for us when we were a little baby uh, we would be psychologically and physically harmed and our whole society would be very uh, damaged if that becomes widespread so to understand the importance of the sacred feminine whether we're a man or a woman to cultivate that is a sense of caring uh, for those who are around us and for ourselves and realize that we've been raised in a society where we've been taught not to do that and to see others as objects I think it really requires a profoundly um, meditative approach in a certain level to, to really understand uh, the situation here on this planet. And that's really why I wrote The World Peace Diet, was to help give the big picture of the consequences of animal agriculture, not just in the outer world, but in the inner landscape of our awareness and for social justice and so forth and for our physical health. And then the other book you mentioned, Your Inner Islands, is really to help us take the meditative path of love, compassion, joy, and peace, and of questioning the idea of materialism, to realize that there's so much more to life than what we can see. There's uh, the infinite consciousness that is our true nature that is here to unfold our, our authentic life. And that is each one of us who does that, we make it easier for everyone else to do the same thing. That's the greatest gift we can give to others is to do our own work on ourselves and question the narrative of violence in our society, not just theoretically but practically, in the way we eat and how we live. And then each one of us, as we do that, we create a field, I think, of consciousness that is transforming our society. And I think it's going much more quickly than we realize in a positive direction.
1: I was listening to Rebecca Solnit's new book about uh, what stories are, are ours, and she um talked about the collective that it's not a time of single heroes but it's a collective and she talked about a murmuration mm. of community mm. you know like <laughs> yeah. like we move together and this mm-hmm. is what i see is this movement this this benevolent you call talk all a benevolent Revolution right. that we're doing together by th- three times a day or more, where we're mm-hmm. how we're eating.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It, it's just it's such a wonderful contribution. Uh, Will I just want to thank you so much mm-hmm. uh, for doing the work that you do and bringing this message so passionately to mm-hmm. all of us, and you're sticking to your path for so long and. Maybe the rest of us are starting to catch up.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Justine. Thanks, everyone, for listening.
1: This has been a a time with uh, Dr. Will Tuttle, and he is the author of The World Peace Diet, Eating for Spiritual Health and Social Harmony, and also many other books and many albums. Uh, We didn't even talk about your beautiful music, but... Our listeners will hear it in the breaks in this program. This other book, Your Inner Island's the Keys to Intuitive Listening, you can find this on his website, willtuttle.com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions. This is program number 3697.
0: New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine willis Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. This program was recorded at Strawberry Hill Productions, a full-service podcast production studio in Novato, California. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson.